Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. Obviously enough, since this is the Michael Cutler Hour, I thank you for joining me. It is Friday. It is September the 27th, 2019. Um, And I have to tell you, every uh, week when I join you, and I'm so happy that you do come uh, to listen, um, I keep thinking, what more could possibly happen? And, uh, you know, my dad sagely told me when I was growing up that nothing is so good that it couldn't be made better or so bad that it couldn't get worse. And I am convinced that in America, bottom is illusory and there is no bottom. We have a lot to talk about, but just uh, briefly, I want to remind all of you, if you're new to my program, that I'm a retired senior special agent with the former Immigration and Naturalization Service, the agency that was sliced diced and thoroughly screwed up by President George W. Bush, even in the wake of the terror attacks of 9-11, to create the Department of Homeland Surrender. Uh, Immigration is a critical issue. It impacts virtually every challenge and threat uh, that American Americans confront. And to be clear, it is not anti-immigrant to want immigration laws enforced because our laws are the most generous, our policies are the most generous in the world. We admit more than a million lawful immigrants each and every year. They are given green cards. They're immediately placed on the pathway to United States citizenship. And each and every year, we naturalize. We um, give citizenship to hundreds of thousands of lawful immigrants, again, more than the rest of the world combined. And remarkably, in this Orwellian world, this isn't about being politically correct. It's Orwellian. Uh, Anybody who is an advocate for fair but effective immigration law enforcement and secure borders is branded anti-immigrant. And those folks who want open borders, um, no borders, no immigration law enforcement are called by the media pro-immigrant. In reality, I am not anti-immigrant but pro-enforcement, and those who disagree with me are immigration anarchists. And the crazy part of this all is that immigration has nothing to do with race, religion, or ethnicity. It's not about one color of skin or over the other. We hear so much about the U.S.-Mexican border because it's the only border in the world where you have 2,000 miles separating the first world from the third world. But that said, uh, we are a country of 50 border states. And I can tell you that when I was an INS agent, and I was for 26 years, and before that I was an immigration inspector at Kennedy Airport, and for one of those four years I was assigned as an adjudications officer. But um, when I was an inspector, understand that we have a port of entry right here in New York City, John F. Kennedy International Airport. We are a nation of 50 border states. So this fake narrative that over time, beginning with Jimmy Carter saying we're not going to use the word alien, we're going to call people who are here from other countries, immigrants, no matter whether they're here legally or not, that if they're here illegally, we're not going to call them illegal aliens. We're going to call them uh, undocumented immigrants. And that was the beginning of a steep decline 
into fantasy land. Not helped at all by Reagan's amnesty, which gave almost 4 million illegal aliens lawful status, and what the media never talks about is how many of those nearly 4 million then filed petitions for their relatives. So by the time we get done with the count, the Reagan amnesty probably brought in well over 10, 000, uh, 10 million uh, aliens altogether between those legalized and those they petitioned for. But that's the number you'll never hear. Today, and this has been going on for years, we're told there's 11 million illegal aliens. There's been caravans, over 100,000 each month coming in for several months, but the number always stays the same. It's like the clown car in the circus. No matter how many come out of the car, there's always more. No matter how many enter the country, we're told it's 11 million. It's nuts. It's delusional. It certainly doesn't help America or Americans. It does help the greedy. It certainly helps immigration lawyers who want clients. And remember, you've got immigration attorneys on both sides of the political aisle. Um, today, Zoe Lofgren is a Democrat, and she chairs the House Immigration Subcommittee. She is an immigration lawyer. Bob Goodlatte, who just retired from Congress, was before he came to Congress, and he's a Republican. He chaired the House Judiciary Committee, which has oversight over immigration, was an immigration lawyer, both sides of the aisle. So they're making out like pundits. The, the employers that want to exploit aliens, they're making out like bandits. And as you will see later on today, um, the Senate um, actually voted for a bill that will greatly increase the number of H-1B visa holders who will then be able to get lawful status in the United States and provide permanent competition for beleaguered American programmers. It's a nasty trick being pulled on American kids and American professionals who are spending a ton of money and putting in a ton of effort to get their degrees at great cost, you know, student loans are the second greatest form of personal debt in the United States, second only to mortgages. And we've tried to convince the, 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 the crooked politicians, forgive the redundancy, if only you would get that magic degree, you're in like Flint. Everything is perfect. And meanwhile, Congress, including the, the Senate, including the, the Republican-controlled Senate, is doing everything they can to make certain that foreign nationals get those important jobs. Why in the world are we doing that? I had a big argument with Ted Cruz a number of years ago when he insisted that for America to lead, we need to import the world's best and brightest. And I walked up to Ted. We were both speaking at an event in Washington, and it almost got physical. I think I mentioned it last week, but it so sticks in my craw. And I said, Senator, I said, I want you to know that I'm a New Yorker. I come from Brooklyn. And in Brooklyn, we have a word to describe the world's best and brightest. We call them Americans. And you would have thought that somebody put a hot poker up his tailpipe. But it's true. It's Americans who went to the moon repeatedly a half century ago. It's Americans who broke the sound barrier. Chuck Yeager flying the X-1. It's Americans who sent space probes out of the solar system. It's Americans who did all those great achievements. And we're being told by politicians that for us to lead, we need to import smart people. Well, when you look at who we've elected to Congress, maybe there's something to that. But what choice do we get? It seems as though when you go into the voting booth, it's a case of heads they win, tails we lose. And if we're going to talk about losing, although I usually focus on immigration, I have to talk at least a bit 
about the House of Representatives stating that they were going to do an investigation into the impeachment of President Trump. You know, I'm registered as a Democrat. I'm not being partisan, but I'm always American. And I can think back to another president who came under fire under very different circumstances, and his name was Richard Milhouse Nixon. In fact, I got to meet President Nixon. Uh, As an immigration agent, I frequently would be in the federal building where our offices were at all sorts of odd hours. President Nixon, when he left office, was given private office space, and it happened that he had it at 26 Federal Plaza, the same building where I work, where the FBI and other federal agencies are located. He was on the 14th floor, and I was told that he had a great affinity towards agents. Uh, The same was true of other presidents, JFK, LBJ, certainly not Hillary Clinton, certainly not Jimmy Carter. But um, Richard Nixon had a policy that if he wrote a book and an agent brought the book to his office, he would autograph the book for him. And one morning, I had come back from vacation. I had to go in early to get my raid gear. We were going out to make arrests, so it must have been 5.30 in the morning. I ran to my office. I had my stuff locked up in in a locker. I grabbed my bulletproof vest, my raid jacket, and other stuff. And I'm carrying my raid bag out to my car. And as I'm walking through the lobby of 26 Federal Plaza before 6 o'clock in the morning, I find myself face-to-face with President Nixon with his private security team. Uh, By the way, he insisted, from what I understand, that he would not take Secret Service at at taxpayer expense. He felt that that was not proper since he was forced to resign. He paid for his own security, which I think is an interesting footnote. Again, I'm no big fan of Nixon. He certainly was upset by Watergate. There were other things. But if you read his bio, it's interesting that he served in active duty in the Second World War. And as he saw me, I looked up at him. I said, good morning, Mr. President. I was always respectful. And he looked at me and he said, good morning, son. And he looked at the way I was dressed and the big bag I was carrying. He said, you must be a federal agent. And I said, how do you know that, Mr. President? He said, well, only federal agents and Richard Nixon come into this building at this ungodly hour. And we both kind of laughed. And he said, looks to me, son, like you're going out to make an arrest. Is that the case? I said, yes, sir. In fact, we are. We're going out with my team, and we're going to be making some arrests this morning. He said to me, son, the most important thing you can do today is come home safely. Remember, that's the priority. Get the bad guys. Certainly, I hope you're successful. But please make sure you come home safe. I thanked him. I gave him a little salute. He got into his elevator and disappeared, and I went out and did my work that day. But I remember a story, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I tend to think it is. When uh, Nixon lost the election for the presidency in 1960, apparently somebody went to him and said, you know, Chicago probably had lots of dead people voting. Uh, You could probably contest the election. And from what has been written, Nixon's answer was, I would never want to do anything that would cause the American people to lose faith in their government. Uh, And I, I hope it's a true story. And we get to an issue that I remember studying back at Brooklyn College called political legitimacy. I took several classes in political science. I was originally an engineering major. And coming out of the hard sciences, politics did not seem anything near science to me. still doesn't. But there is a course of study known as political science. I took a couple of courses, including comparative governments. And I remember my professor, who was very well regarded, very bright guy, saying that when a country's citizens lack or when the government in the eyes of its citizens lacks 
political legitimacy, almost invariably revolution follows. Think about how important that statement is. When the citizens of a country, any country, believe that their government lacks political legitimacy, revolutions follow. And since President Trump has been elected to office, what happened today, two days ago with Nancy Pelosi, is only the latest of a string of insanity that has been going on even before the election, an attack on the legitimacy of President Trump. It's astonishing. It's disheartening, and it's worrying. It's worrying the extent to which the opposition would go. You know, the Soviet Union and the United States during the Cold War, and even today, stared down each other with nuclear weapons. And they call that policy MAD, M-A-D-D, two Ds. Uh, or is it M-A-D? M-A-D, I'm sorry. Mutually Assured Destruction. The idea was you launch your nukes at me, I launch my nukes at you, and we all die. It's a suicide pact. Today, this thing about Trump and the Democratic Party reminds me of mutually assured destruction. The Democrats are acting as though they're never going to have the White House, they're never going to be in that position, and the Republicans would never do to them what they're doing to the Republicans. And I'm no fan of the Republicans. Don't get me going on them, by the way. I'm just talking about governance and putting what's best for America and Americans ahead of all other considerations, because they're not doing that. What they have done, what Hillary has done, what the Democratic Party has done, is to go out of their way to erode confidence that the American people have in their government and the sense of legitimacy. They want you to believe that Trump is not the president. They want you to believe that the election was wrong, that somehow the election was rigged. And meanwhile, the more you dig into what the Democrats did, the more you're going to find out that if anybody colluded with other governments, it was probably the Democrats. You saw the Mueller report. It was a big nothing burger, nothing at all, nothing to see here. You have false allegations, the Steele dossier. I'm not going to go through all that garbage. There's other things to talk about tonight. But what really lit my fuse, and, you know, I've testified before 17 congressional hearings, gave testimony to the 9-11 Commission. I've worked with with, with members of Congress. I worked with Al D'Amato back in the early 80s to create the aggravated felon reentry law. So while my area of expertise is immigration law enforcement, and I could argue narcotics enforcement as well, since I spent half my 30 years uh, with DEA intelligence and then with the Drug Task Force. I had desks at the FBI, DEA, ATF, and I worked with foreign governments. I worked with foreign governments as well. Israel, Canada, Great Britain got an award from the government of Japan. So I understand what goes on when we're dealing with other governments and how we have to be very careful about that. You know, there would be times when some police representative of another government would ask you to do things that you knew you couldn't do, and you would, you'd make a joke about it. I remember one day over lunch, the Israeli National Police, and I worked closely with them because my very first fraud investigation in 1976 caused me to trip over a terror plot that would have resulted in the bombing of the Israeli oil refinery at Haifa. We were able to prevent the attack working with the FBI and notified my superiors of my very first fraud investigation. It was supposed to be a nothing case, which brings up the issue that there's no such thing as a small investigation because you never know where you're going to go once you scratch the surface. And so I remember one day the Israelis were asking me for some information. I can't recall the particulars. Not unusual. 
people make requests. And when you know you're not allowed and can't do it, you don't do it. It's never an issue. But I would always try to make light of it so that it didn't become a confrontational thing. You know, public relations is very much a part of international relations. And I, I would, I said to the police general with whom I was speaking, I said, General, if this was my delicatessen, I'd make you that sandwich any way you liked, but it ain't my deli. And he laughed and I laughed and he understood the point. But I can tell you that when you become aware as a federal agent or as a president of crimes and wrongdoing being committed by members of the government, you are compelled to report them. And I'm not talking about the so-called whistleblower talking about Trump. I'm talking about Trump having a discussion about apparent wrongdoing or seeming wrongdoing by Biden and his son, Hunter. You know, I had an old-time boss when I started who used to end every meeting by getting very serious and saying to us, as federal agents, it's not enough that we don't engage in wrongdoing. We must never even give the illusion of doing wrong. And the idea that the vice president's son was working for a company in the Ukraine at an outrageous wage and had no real expertise that would have justified this guy working there and then the, the, the back and forth about the desire to get rid of a prosecutor who was investigating that company in the Ukraine certainly creates a very bad illusion of wrongdoing. It really does. But what we're hearing from the Democrats is, oh, my God, Trump raised the issues. But when you look at the transcript, as Alan Dershowitz said, there was no crime there. And I, and I happen to think Alan Dershowitz is terrific. I don't always agree with him. I don't always agree with anybody. He didn't even always, I don't even always agree with me when I look back at positions I've taken. But Dershowitz was clear there was no criminal activity here. But what lit my fuse was the hearing with Adam Schiff officiating, because he's the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. And, and here's something to consider. It's the chairman who administers the oath to the witnesses. You are duty-bound to speak the truth at a hearing, and if you don't, you're committing a felony the same way that if you were in court and lied called perjury and yet Schiff purportedly was reading from a copy of the president's statement and he said the following I have a favor I want from you and supposedly this is what Trump had said to the president of the Ukraine I have a favor I want from you and I'm going to say this only seven times so you better listen good I want you to make up dirt on my political opponent. Understand? Lots of it. He was called out on that lie by one of the Republicans. And his response was, well, that was just a parody. Let me tell you what went through my mind. If he hadn't been called out, he certainly wouldn't have admitted it. And I could just see the news networks carrying that video clip and saying, this is what the president said. I want you to make up lots of dirt. Holy smoke. A parody coming from the chairman of the committee. I've never seen anybody at any of the hearings where I've testified or where I sat in because I had congressmen sometimes say to me, like the chairman of the immigration subcommittee, Mike, I don't want you to testify, but if you're in D.C., I'd love for you to sit in and watch the hearing and give me your feedback about what the witnesses had to say. And I've done that a few times. So I understand the process quite well. I have never, ever seen anything quite like that, 
where the chairman makes a statement like that, and when he gets caught, his excuse was, oh, that was just a parody. That's not a parody. That's a false statement. And I'm sure that he was hoping that the media would pick up on it, and then people would go home and turn on their TVs and watch that disgusting display of perjury and say, oh, my God, no wonder they want to impeach President Trump. How dare he? But he never said that. This goes to the integrity of Mr. Schiff, chairman of a very important subcommittee, the Intelligence Subcommittee. How dare he? How dare all of them? They are treading on thin ice, causing people to question the legitimacy of the government. Are they seeking to foment um, a revolution in America? I don't know. It really makes me wonder what their ultimate goal is. You know, I understand that if you're with the opposition party and you're and the president is, is successful, it hurts your possibilities to win the presidency in the upcoming election. But at the end of the day, the president has to be successful if America is going to be successful. And I don't care if the president is with the hopping kangaroo party. So if you oppose the president because you're afraid he's too successful, then what you're really saying is we don't want America to be successful as long as that man is in the Oval Office. Is that really ethical, honest, decent? Is it representation? You know, I'm not much of a religious man, to be honest with you, but I think everybody knows about the wisdom of Solomon. And the idea was that back days, in the days of the Bible, there was no DNA testing, and I'm sure you've heard this very famous story. Two women both claimed to be the mother of a baby, and Solomon, King Solomon has to figure out, how do I figure out who the real mother is? So he turns to these two women, and they want to pull this baby apart. We want the baby, right? And he says to the women, I'll make a deal here. I know how we can resolve the issue. We will kill the baby, cut the baby in half. You each get equal halves of the baby. And one woman said, great, get out your knife. And the other woman was horrified, and she said, don't you dare hurt a hair on my baby's head. I would rather the other woman gets to keep my child than harm should come to him. Wouldn't it be something if politicians saw that about elected office? I would rather lose the election than have harm come to America. Those politicians could care less. Kill the country, just give me my piece of the action. We're in a dangerous situation, folks, and this isn't about left or right. This is about right or wrong. And, you know, Johnny Cochran was right. If you can't trust the messenger, you can't trust the message. As an agent, I frequently had to try to decide whether the person sitting in front of me was telling the truth or not. And the things that you look for is hypocrisy, the person who keeps changing his story, and so forth. There has been so many attacks on this president. You see, if this was the first one, you'd say, well, maybe something is really going on. But after everything that we've seen with the fake Russian collusion and the Steele dossier, and and the list goes on, and here we go again, yet again, and because they couldn't find something in that statement, as far as I'm concerned, Schiff committed perjury at the hearing, and he tried to pawn it off as a parody when he was confronted. He didn't start out saying, I have a parody for you. 
That would have been one thing, that everybody knows what they're listening to. He didn't say that. And I watched the damn video. I hope you get to see it. Because it was not clear to me that this was a parody. It looked to me that he was reading from a transcript of the president's phone conversation. And then it turned out to be a big, fat, ugly, disgusting, sickening lie. That's not a leader. That is a man who needs to be flipping burgers at McDonald's. But I don't think I would trust him to give me all the French fries that I would be entitled to. This is not leadership, folks. This is a very dangerous situation, and he's a very dangerous individual because it's apparent to me that he doesn't care about the damage that he does as long as he gets to win. And if he wins playing it that way, America and Americans lose. We have to move on, but I I just feel so strongly about this. I had to make that point. I hope you understand where where I am on this business. It is reprehensible, it is disgusting, it is unfathomable that anybody could do that. I also want you to know that there was a headline in Market Watch, the Wall Street Journal's uh, website, and this blows my mind. The headline, and this was just uh, two days ago, excuse me, September 25th. Senate votes to end border emergency under which Trump redirected military funds to wall construction. The Senate is controlled by the Republican Party. When people say to me, why aren't you registered as a Republican? This is a good example of why I'm not. The Democrats certainly don't want a border wall. They're happy to see America turn to immigration anarchy, which I don't understand. But again, think of the wisdom of Solomon. We are in a critical situation, and I've spoken about it innumerable times, so bear with me, but I'm going to speak about it again briefly. We know that the situation with Iran is deteriorating, and I believe that at some point Iran may step up the violence. There was a General, uh, General Keene on uh, Fox News today using, talking about the use of, of kinetic strategies. Kinetic, for those of you not familiar with military jargon, means using weaponry kinetic energy, you know, the energy of motion. Artillery shells is kinetic. Bombs are kinetic, you see, energy, military, violence. And we saw it with the attack on the Saudi oil refinery to try to destabilize world uh, oil production and, and, and economies and so forth. Iran is desperate. Iran is also the organization that runs Hezbollah. Hezbollah is a terrorist organization, recognized as a terrorist organization by both the United States, Israel, and our allies. It's not a question. This isn't a, a Tea Party, okay? This isn't a, forgive that one, um, not, not the political Tea Party, but, you know, a garden party, perhaps, is the term I should use. Um, in fact, I spoke at a couple of Tea Party conventions. I was very honored to do so. They were very uh, welcoming, even though they know that I'm a New Yorker and, and a Democrat. But they certainly gave me ample opportunity to provide my perspectives. I wish the Democratic Party would be willing to listen to somebody like me. I assure you they wouldn't. I've tried, believe me. Um, it's just remarkable. Just like at the UN, and i got to make that point. Maybe next time we'll talk about climate change. Uh, the climate is always changing, but I don't believe that the human species is responsible for the bulk of it, although I certainly want us to clean up the environment, and I'd love to see us stop burning hydrocarbons. But let's get serious about stuff. 
But what was remarkable to me was the Secretary General of the U.N. telling world leaders you can only speak at the climate conference if you come up with great ideas about ending, you know, global uh, warming through human interactions or human uh, actions, rather. Really? So we're not going to have a debate. You, you either agree with us or else. Uh, folks, this is not a democratic process. This is not a democratic process. This is a very frightening situation where people who disagree are being silenced. The Nazis did it, and we had the, we had the Second World War. Now we've got the extreme left doing it. And Dershowitz made that comparison, saying, you know, we, we, we used to have the, the, the you know, it was, it was the, um, the right going after the left. Now it's the left going after the right. It has to stop. Our democracy depends on freedom of speech, the ability to argue our positions. Dershowitz made a very interesting point. He said they have safe spaces on college campuses. He said you should have spaces that where you feel physically safe. But he said no one should ever walk onto a college campus with the idea that their ideas will be safe. He said ideas always, always, always need to be challenged. That's the purpose for universities, and I couldn't agree with Professor Dershowitz more. He got it exactly right. I was going to teach debate on the college level, had the opportunity to become a federal agent, not uh, appeared on the horizon, and so I decided to make you know, that, that my career choice. Debate is at the heart and soul of democracy. Debate, free, honest, open debate is the equivalent of intellectual capitalism. Everyone brings their ideas to the marketplace of ideas, and then the, the, the consumer, the audience, gets to decide what makes more sense. If you have a position and can't defend it in a debate, then maybe you ought to change your position. It's just that simple. We know that we are at risk. We know that there are drugs coming through the Mexican border. We know there are terrorists potentially coming through the Mexican border. Hezbollah is operating in close coordination with human traffickers, drug smugglers, often one and the same in Latin America, pushing people and drugs into the United States as a funding mechanism and also to provide opportunities for them to embed sleeper agents in the United States. And we're going to talk about one shortly. With that for a backdrop, how in the world do you vote against securing the dangerous border? By the way, I want to be very clear. Most people don't realize it until you start to say it. A border wall, listen carefully, would not stop the entry of a single person into the United States. Think about that. Think of the way it's been described, the border wall, the wall of hate. It's not designed to stop people from coming to America. Not even a little. You see, you're probably scratching your head saying, what's this guy Cutler talking about? The purpose of the border wall, if the border wall was supposed to stop people and cargo coming from Mexico, then it would be the whole border. But the border wall does not cross in front of ports of entry. What it does is funnel all traffic through ports of entry. It's kind of like going to the bank and they have those velvet ropes which guide you so that you get to the teller. The wall on the border is not unlike the velvet rope in the bank that's designed to funnel everybody into the into that the the um, the the um, teller's window. 
This is about moving everybody through a port of entry so they can be screened, the record of their entry created, and whatever goods are coming in can be examined to make certain there's no contraband. That's the purpose of the wall. It's not to stop anybody. It's to funnel everybody and everything through a port of entry so an inspection can be conducted. Simple as that. Simple as that. Why in the world would you not want to make certain that everybody and everything that flows into the United States is inspected and a record is created so we know they're here? That's all that it's supposed to do. You wouldn't know it to listen to the the, the screaming memes. Oh, my God, he's anti-immigrant. No, I just want to make sure that nobody sneaks in. That's called trespassing when you sneak in. And Chuck Schumer, the Senate minority leader, about five years ago said he wanted a law that would make trespass a federal crime with a five-year felony because it's so damn dangerous. Think about that. Think about that. So the wall isn't about keeping people out. It's about making sure that people don't enter, to use the, the lie, undocumented, so that they don't enter without inspection. We want to make sure that we know who's here. Keep out people who are murderers and fugitives from justice and, and spies and terrorists. You can't defend the country if you can't keep your enemies out of the country. You lock your door at night for the same reason. So you've got the Senate, which is on a binge. They want open borders every much as the Democrats do. Make no mistake. They know that it doesn't play well. But when they have an opportunity for collusion with the Democrats, boy, oh, boy, they're there, and they'll vote shoulder to shoulder with the Democrats. And I guarantee you that there were, there were Republicans who voted with the Democrats in the Senate to vote this end-to-border emergency. So when I hear this nonsense, oh, it's the Democrats' fault, it's both sides of the aisle that has shafted us. There's only one person that I can tell you with certainty doesn't want that, and that's the president of the United States. So while I disagree with Trump on a bunch of issues, I do, and I sure as hell wish that he had a better set of skills or a better skill set where communication is concerned, but I, I get that. My dad was a construction worker. He was a tradesman. And Donald Trump sounds like all the tradesmen that I grew up around. Their language lacks nuance. Trump lacks nuance. He grew up in the construction industries. By the way, you will never meet a bunch of men, uh, and I guess women are now doing it also, but when my father was was doing it, my dad died over 50 years ago, but it was all men. There were no women construction workers. I never knew men that had greater guts or integrity willing to do a hard day's work for a good day's pay. That's where I grew up. That's who I I am. I am the product of my parents. I am my parents' son. And so when I listen to Donald Trump, I hear the, the voices of the construction workers who were my father's friends that I grew up around as a kid. No job was too dangerous, too tough, too filthy, too backbreaking. Just give me a day's pay and I'll be there at five in the morning if need be. I'll do the job. That's the can-do mentality that built America. But don't confuse the average politician with the can-do mentality. They must look at Donald Trump and think, my God, how does he do it? How does he work those hours? The man is over 72 years old, and he has more guts and more get-up-and-go than those wimpies in the Congress who wouldn't know an honest day's work, half of them, if it bit them on the nose or some other appendage. Uh, It infuriates me. You have the Congress fighting the president on border security at a time that we have a serious problem with narcotics 
and the threat of terrorism hanging over our head, not unlike the sword of Damocles. So when they hear this nonsense, and I see people commenting to my articles in the front page, oh, it's the Democrats. Yeah, well, you go look at those damn Republicans who voted against the president's wall. And let me be clear, the wall by itself doesn't end the immigration crisis, but it's a component that needs to be there. I compare the, wing, uh, the, the wall on the border with a wing on an airplane. Without the wing, the airplane doesn't fly, but the wing by itself goes nowhere. This has to be a multi-pronged effort to bring immigration under control, not to keep out decent, hardworking people we always hear, but because you're bringing in more workers and the number of new jobs we're creating, and you also have a problem with fugitives and criminals, aliens with dangerous diseases. Ellis Island was a quarantine station, period, and nobody apologized for it. It was a quarantine station. It was the biggest hospital complex when it was completed in the United States. It was designed to prevent epidemics and to make certain that people who came into the United States were physically fit and able to work and support themselves. What a novel idea. Holy smoke. But don't you dare say it today. In fact, in New York, they just passed a law that if you call somebody an illegal alien and you do it with anger and hate, you're looking at a $250,000 fine. I kid you not. I looked at this newspaper article, and my head just wanted to explode. We've lost our minds. We've lost our moral compass. We have no idea which end is up anymore. So we better wake up, folks. These aren't left-right issues. There's no heroes here. But I will tell you that Trump is the first president, perhaps since Eisenhower, maybe Kennedy, who understands national sovereignty. Not a single president since then did or cared about it. To them, open borders means wealth. It's clients for immigration lawyers. It's cheap, exploitable labor. It's tourists and foreign students, even if those foreign students come from countries that sponsor terrorism and they want to use their training to kill us maybe at some point. This is insanity. It's a prescription for a disaster. And in fact, here's the article. We have another article that the New York Post published, same day, two days ago. I sued for unlawful and unconstitutional civil arrests. They always say it unconstitutional. He arrested that alien. Unconstitutional. Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution promises that the states will be given a Republican form of government to protect it against invasion. And if you look up invasion, that's what we have on our borders, all of our borders, not just the Mexican border. You can't defend a nation if you can't keep people out who want to kill you. You can't protect your home if you can't lock your door. It's very simple. There's locks on our cars. There's locks on our houses. People have layers of security. They have burglar alarms. They put a safe in their house. So even if you get past the front door, the most valuable of their possessions are now locked in a safe. Why? Because security is done in layers. Interior enforcement is a critical issue. And that brings me to two of my articles that I wrote for Front Page Magazine. I hope after you listen to my program, you go to Front Page and check out the two articles. And I'd I'd love for you to forward them, put them on Facebook, or or just forward the links to as many of your friends as possible, especially the ones who disagree with you. Please, let's have an honest conversation based on fact, not nonsense, not fabrication. Goodness. The um, first article that I wrote that I want you to know about is um, 
um, forgive me, <laughs> alleged Hezbollah sleeper agent arrested in New York City by the Joint Terrorism Task Force, a naturalized citizen admitted lawfully nearly 20 years ago. Think about that. Nearly 20 years ago. And um, so here is what actually happened. Um, I, I hope that this is working. I think my sound is giving me problems here. Uh, I hope you can hear me. Okay. Sometimes you have to wonder about computers. Hopefully you're, you're hearing what I'm saying. Um, let me let me pull up this one article. The alleged sleeper agent that we're talking about is an individual by the name of Saab. He came to uh, the. Let me just pull this up. Forgive me. Yeah, here's an individual who came to the United States. Believe it or not, in the year 2000, with a visa, we gave him citizenship in 2008, but he had joined Hezbollah believe it or not, back in um, 1996 or 1997. And he was traveling, allegedly, in and out of the United States, acting on behalf of Hezbollah. Um, He came on a Lebanese passport, and he was traveling in and out of the country. He allegedly attempted to kill a man that that he and Hezbollah believed was an Israeli agent. Fortunately, he failed in that mission. And he was arrested with plans to... Uh, scope out locations in New York, Washington, and elsewhere to carry out a terrorist attack. Understand the danger that this creates. This guy was living among us. He was also alleged to have committed immigration fraud. You know, I keep making the point that immigration is as much an element of um, uh, of, of the problem as is terrorism. Aliens who enter the United States to commit acts of terror violate multiple laws that are comprehended within the Immigration Act. And in point of fact, he's charged with engaging in a marriage fraud with a woman who was a co-conspirator as a terrorist. You know, the movies make light of it. The movie Green Card, and then there was Sandra Bullock in the movie, which was entertaining, the proposal. And if you haven't seen it, you know, the, the, the plot is she's the editor of a magazine, but she's from Canada and she has this guy working for her, and she orders him to marry her so that she doesn't get deported because she's not supposed to be here. And as you would imagine, this turns into a romantic com- comedy, and by the time the movie is over with, they're madly in love, and they get married for real, and you know the beat goes on. But the message is a dangerous message. There's nothing entertaining about defrauding the immigration system. In fact, the 9-11 Commission found that immigration fraud was the key method of entry and embedding for the terrorists. I did my very first congressional hearing as a witness back in 97, May 20th, 1997, on the issue of visa fraud and immigration fraud because of the 93 terrorist attacks. This isn't a joke, but it becomes a joke in the media because that's the way to get people to think that immigration is a big nothing. It's not a big nothing. The primary mission of America's armed forces, all five branches, is to keep America's enemies as far from our shores as possible. Up close and in person, that job then falls to the Border Patrol and to ICE agents. Hardly inconsequential. Hardly inconsequential. So 
understand this sleeper agent was arrested this past summer, I believe June or July. The press release was just issued. And he is just one of a long list of people who've been able to get into the United States from the Middle East whose ultimate goal is to attack America and Americans. I go back to what we said about the situation with Iran and the nuclear deal. Iran is desperate. The sanctions are really putting a hurt on Iran. It was a terrible deal that was made by the Obama administration. And so with all of this going on, clearly Iran is looking for violent ways of remedying the problem that they see as a problem. The attack on the oil refinery, certainly serious. Who knows what they might plan for tomorrow or where they might do it. But I can tell you that they have sleeper agents in the United States. In fact, Peter King did a hearing back in 2012 where he said at the hearing they ran at least had hundreds, if not more, sleeper agents inside the United States right now. And when people say, well, you know, we're just going to arrest the people who have no criminal history, please understand sleeper agents generally have no criminal histories. Somebody once said that an effective spy is somebody who wouldn't attract the attention of a waiter or waitress at a greasy spoon diner. In fact, it might be that waiter or waitress who is the spy, and you could say the same thing about a terrorist. In point of fact, I found a guy one day when I was uh, as an immigration agent back in the 80s working as a dishwasher in a restaurant. He was from Egypt. We didn't have the intel then, unfortunately. When we went back to get his passport from his apartment, we found shopping bags filled to the brim with coupons for all sorts of products that he would obviously have no use for. Dog food, women's sanitary napkins, uh, baby formula, you name it. Women's clothing. He was living alone, a guy. And we ultimately deported him. And then months later, there was a TV show. That's where we got this from, that Yasser Arafat and the PLO were funding terrorism by committing coupon fraud. They were clipping coupons and then taking the coupons into bodegas, and they would redeem the coupon, and then they would go to the company and say, you know, we sold uh, a 1,000 boxes of Cheerios, reimburse us. And some guy in, in, in corporate security noticed that some of these stores maybe had sold 20 boxes of Cheerios by what they were ordering, but were redeeming the coupons for thousands. And that's when they started an investigation, and they found that the money leaded, led right back to Arafat, the PLO, and terror attacks in the Middle East. Without money, terrorist organizations, just like any other organization, can't accomplish its goals. People who come to America to raise money are terrorists, just the way that the guy that sets off the bomb is a terrorist. If you look at an aircraft carrier, there's maybe 200 pilots in the air wing, but overall, there's more than 5,000 crew members on the average aircraft carrier. Are the men and women on the aircraft carrier who are not pilots less than the other members of the U.S. Navy? They are all members of the Navy, and without each of them, those pilots could never carry out their missions in those airplanes. Understand that. We sent astronauts to the moon. There were hundreds of thousands of engineers and technicians, but only three men ultimately landed on the moon, in each, or two men on each of those missions. It was a three-man spacecraft one stayed in the command module, while two went to the surface in the lunar module. But the astronauts could not have gotten to the moon or off the launch pad without that army of people. Terrorists aren't only bomb throwers. They are people who come into the country. They might photograph locations and scope out locations. 
and provide a bed or, or a place for someone to stay who's here to do some damage. Maybe they raise money. Whatever it is they do, it's in support of the missions of the terrorist organizations. So please understand that when you hear the argument, well, the person has no criminal history, so what? They violated the immigration laws and go back to what Chet Schumer said, that people who trespass pose a threat. And finally, I, I, I want to get to this other story because this is so galling. Uh, again, please go to frontpagemag.com. Harvard president attacks U.S. Customs and Border Protection. And the subtitle, this is basically a quote from my parents. There's a big difference between being educated and being smart. So the story is, is a very simple one. A foreign student by the name of Ishmael Ajawi landed at Boston's airport, Boston, uh, I guess it was Logan, yeah, Logan Airport, with a student visa to go to Harvard on a full scholarship to study biology. The inspectors at the airport, and by the way, he's got a, a Lebanese passport. Lebanon is a so-called special interest country. It's associated with terrorism. In a point of fact, Hezbollah has its origins in Lebanon. So he lands at the airport. They go through his stuff, which they're supposed to do. I did that job for four years. And they examine his computer, and they find in his computer anti-American posts by his friends, very virulent anti-American posts. Well, you know, people that pose a threat don't generally have tattoos on their head that says, I'm a threat. They looked at that. They looked at some other issues, and they made a determination that this guy posed a threat. And they said, okay, you're inadmissible. And they denied him entry initially. They sent him back from whence he came. The president, Lawrence Bacow, Lawrence Bacow, president of Harvard, wrote a letter. And um, the letter that he wrote blew my mind. He wrote the letter to the Justice Department and to the acting director of Homeland Security. And he said this, our scholars have experienced postponements and disruptions to what have previously been routine immigration processes, such as family visas, renewals of status, or clearance of in for international travel. This year, graduates across Harvard have seen significant delays in receiving optional practical training approvals. This has hindered or endangered their postgraduate work and, in some cases, their medical residencies. But Cal wrote that he appreciates that there's a broader policy priority with regard to the security concerns, including protection of intellectual property and reporting of donations to the institution. Donations. I don't know what that has to do with this. But, again, it's always about the money, folks. Follow the money. Uh, but then the article um, went on to report. And let me give this article full credit. Um, this is from NDTV, New, New Delhi Television. This is where this came, came from. Um, but he, he goes on, and, and, and what really blows my mind is he says this. Academic science is open and collaborative, he wrote, while we support appropriate measures to safeguard valuable intellectual property, national defense, and sensitive emerging technologies. Singling out one country and its citizens is incompatible with the culture and mission of higher education and our national ideals. Academic science is open and collaborative. You have to wonder what planet this man comes from. Would you argue that the Rosenbergs shouldn't have been executed because nuclear secrets were generated on, on university campuses and all they were doing was being open and collaborative with our nuclear secrets? 
You know, it's remarkable that Diane Feinstein, that I talked about Diane last time, in 1998 at a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on foreign terrorists operating in the United States said that we shouldn't be giving this sort of high-tech training to people who come from countries that sponsor terrorism because we could be teaching our enemies how to make weapons of mass destruction. And she not only talked about nuclear weapons, but biology. Biology. So here you have a kid coming from Lebanon with material on the computer, which is very much anti-American. The inspectors doing their job are protecting America, because remember, under Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, the burden to prove that the arriving alien doesn't pose a threat isn't one of the people covered under the category of excludable aliens. That burden of proof rests with the alien, not with the government. We don't have to let foreign nationals in, period. That's a privilege. American citizens can't be kept out. Foreign nationals have to prove to the satisfaction of the inspector at the port of entry that they are not one of those individuals that are under the grounds of inadmissibility, of excludability. Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182. Aliens who have um, have suffered dangerous communicable diseases or mentally ill are criminals, terrorists, spies, human rights violators, fugitives from justice, and so forth. That burden rests with the alien. So you have someone come in with a passport from a a special interest country. The computer contains some apparently nasty stuff about America. Yes, he didn't write it, but his friends did. And if he didn't believe in it, why was it on his computer? Maybe it was an honest mistake, maybe not. But the inspectors were doing their job. And think about after 9-11, those politicians thumping the podium. Why didn't they connect the dots? Well, we have the dots connected. The inspectors acted in accordance with their obligations under the law, under their oaths, and said, you can't come in. And you have the president of Harvard University saying that research must be open and collaborative? Really? At the very least, he's naive. At the very least. It's a very dangerous place. National security should be the number one issue for everybody and anybody who is in a position that impacts national security. It's all well and good to bring kids to American colleges, but when you believe that that person poses a threat potentially, then the inspector at the port of entry has an obligation to deny that person entry into the United States. That's what our laws call for. That's common sense. Someone knocks on your door, you say, who's there? You look through the people, you say, gee whiz, This guy looks kind of shaky. I'm not letting him in. That's your right. America has a comparable right. So when you read this nonsense, and when you see attack after attack being launched against immigration agents by governors and and, and mayors of sanctuary cities, and you listen to the nonsense being spewed by the Democratic candidates for the presidency, we need to decriminalize illegal entry into the United States. They don't want our borders secured, then how do you protect America or Americans? A lot was made about the Jewish community not vaccinating children and the problem with measles. And I'm sure lots of this also emanated from people coming to the United States from other countries where they weren't being inoculated. To me, I smell perhaps the potential of some serious anti-Semitism here. But nobody wants to talk, at least on the left, about the diseases coming into the United States from the third world, for which we have no cures, 
for which we have no vaccines. We don't know who these people are. When people run the border, there's no record of their entry. There's no way to determine if they don't create a public health safe, or, you know, crisis for us also. This isn't xenophobia. You're not antisocial if you lock your door before you go to sleep. You're just demonstrating good common sense. We've got to be careful. We live in a very dangerous era. That if you read the statements being made by the leader of Iran, they are desperate. They are desperate. They attacked that oil refinery. There's no question in my mind. There's no question in the minds of our allies. The lunacy is that you have people in Congress and mayors and governors who are willfully ignoring and violating the findings of the 9-11 Commission report. I've arrested terrorists in my career. Many of my nightmares circulate around 9-11 and how vulnerable we remain to this day. There are many more aliens in our country today than we ha- who are here illegally or may have committed visa fraud than we had on September the 10th, 2001. If you read the 9-11 Commission report, I urge you to read it. If you read the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel, the links, by the way, are in my articles at Front Page Magazine. It's free. Click on it. There's the books. Have at it. Please understand that they are violating the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission. When there's an airplane crash, the NTSB and the FAA and everybody comes out, and why do they do the investigation to try to figure out what went wrong so it doesn't happen again? The 9-11 Commission made it clear that what went wrong were multiple failures of the immigration system, and you have people who allege to be our representatives demanding open borders and an end to immigration law enforcement. I would call it treasonous. And I did that with one reporter who told me that that was outrageous hate speech, that it's treasonous. Is it really? If this was the Second World War and we were failing to act to keep Nazi saboteurs out of the United States, what would you call it? The terrorists today are no different from the Nazi saboteurs of the Second World War. They want us dead, period. The more, the better from their perspective. How in the world do you ignore that irrefutable fact, that irrefutable threat that hangs over our heads, not unlike the sword of Damocles? We've got to get serious, folks, and we've got to have the guts to stand up to the bullies, the bullies who declare that if you want secure borders and effective but fair immigration law enforcement, that you're anti-immigrant. My mother was an immigrant. My dad's parents were immigrants. Many people close to me are immigrants. I have no problem with immigrants, folks. I have a problem with those who come here to hurt us, those who come illegally. For a bit of clarity, the difference between an immigrant and an illegal alien is comparable to the difference between a house guest and a burglar. All that I ask is that we use some common sense and that we hold the politicians accountable. It's not one side or the other of the aisle. Both sides have their problems. Please get involved. Go to the town hall meetings. Make these people that supposedly represent us accountable. They are taking campaign contributions like you wouldn't believe from immigration anarchists, and they know if they want the money, they have to deliver. Where I come from, that's called accepting a bribe. The stakes couldn't be higher. Um, I I just want you to know how much I appreciate you listening to the program. Please also check out my uh, stuff at dmlnews.com. Sign up, join uh, the uh, uh, team DML. I'm happy to work with Dennis. We just did a documentary. I'll be going to Florida next month to do a speaking event. 
It's about providing the information that the mainstream media continues to refuse to provide. Uh, I thank you for joining me. I hope you have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you again next week. By the way, for those of the Jewish faith, I wish you a happy, healthy, and safe New Year. So long.